Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Y'all, I just saw this statistic that really took my breath away. The statistic was that 97% of Black employees do not want to return to an office environment. What? 97%? And of course, I have no idea if the statistic is 100% right or not. But what it's pointing to is that a lot of, of Black people in particular, and I would suspect people of color in general, would prefer to not be in an office because of the shenanigans that are going on in offices. And as we are continuing in our conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, this felt to me like a really important indicator. So that's going to bring us directly into our conversation today with Janine Letford. Janine who has obviously an awesome name, awesome first name. She has an awesome name in general, but Janine gets to talk to Janine. How awesome is that? Janine is a global speaker and a trainer on intercultural creativity. As the 2019 LA Lakers Business Woman of the Year, what awesome. She empowers organizations to connect, create, and innovate across cultural lines. She's the founder and chief creative officer of Cafe Strategies, LLC, which is a consulting, coaching, and training company that trains C-suite executives and employees to create sustainable organizational equity and inclusion strategies while unleashing their innovative thinking for their themselves and their businesses. She recently published her first children's book called I Am Creative with an exclamation point with her three-year-old son, Sean Letford. Janine believes creative thinking thrives best in an inclusive environment, and she's often called America's creative coach for her work in reigniting intercultural creativity within our workforce. Welcome, Janine. So wonderful to be here, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you. I'm so excited to get to have this conversation with you. You and I both love getting to play in the arena around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so my prediction is that there's going to be places where we see things exactly the same way, and there's going to be places where we see things from different perspectives. And so I'm really excited to get to explore all of that with you today. So am I. Awesome. So let's start how we start, which is what is something that you have become aware of that people are not paying attention to either intentionally or unintentionally? And then what's the cost of that? Awareness is key. So all of my work, it's based, my background is in psychology education. And I say I have a street degree in neural neural science um, because I don't actually have a degree, but I've been in the world of neuroscience for 20 years. And now I'm seeing the implementation within the business world. And what we're not paying attention to is the fact of how our cultural lenses and cultural experiences, and this can be attached to the stat you just shared at the beginning of the show, really affect our creative thinking and how important creative creative thinking is to the not only to the mental health of the individual but it's also of course important to the health of the organization and we're not really paying attention to what affects creativity and how we can develop it within our people and the billions and billions of dollars that we're losing because mm-hmm. people are not operating at their highest creative potential. I mean, they don't even want to go back into the office. So right? how do you know? So, you know, for sure, they're not operating at their, their <laughs> um, transcendent level of creative thinking. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love getting to talk about in the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion is when organizations are more diverse. They are more creative. When we have different opinions, different experiences, different life experiences around table, whether it's literal or virtual, we get better ideas. We get more creative. We springboard more off of each other. And so this idea around intercultural sensitivity and how that connects with creativity, I just think is is a brilliant way into the conversation. How did you come up with that? It is. It is. I, I, I just must admit, it was a divine like aha moment. Like, Eureka, right? Um, like I said before, my background is in education. So I've been teaching cultural competence and integrating it within the curriculum because I had uh-huh. students who thought every Asian person was from China. And I'm like, that is not not true. And when I say cultural, I don't just mean ethnicity, culture or nationality, yep. but a culture is a group of people with verified you know, values, beliefs and systems that they've agreed upon. So you can have a soccer mom culture, right? Or, right. or, a, or a tech <laughs> culture. But I was doing that work with children for a while. And of course, children, the research shows, are at their creative genius um, before they really get culturized into right. a system of conformity. And so really looking at, and that's what the, the book that uh, my son and I just came out with, really looking at the innate traits that we have, the creative traits. But I realize I can train adults to get these creative thinking, cognitive thinking traits really to to be at their optimal position. But if they're in an organization or a culture that's not supportive of, you know, because creativity is all about presenting the new. Mm -hmm. And if you're in an organization where you cannot speak up, 
there is microaggressions going on. The the culture is like laden with this status quo. You yep. can't challenge authority. There's so many invisible blockers to I mean, what that's creativity. Not how we do things here. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're right. So there's so many blockers of, of that creativity needs to thrive that we're not even paying attention to, and it's costing <laughs> us billions. Yeah. So this phrase that you have, that I know you have trademarked, intercultural creativity. So dive into that a little bit more, will you please, with our listeners around what you do working with either individuals or organizations, or when you're doing your keynote speaking, really, what are you pointing to and what are the the takeaways that you love it when people receive Sure. Well, I think it's a benefit that I started my career in elementary ed because I have the <laughs> the gift of breaking things down. Albert Einstein mm-hmm. has said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you really don't know it yourself. And I love that because it's true. And that's yep. one of the elements of creativity, being able to abstract right information and to make sure things are, are simply. And so I do that as, as well. Malcolm Gladwell is great at that. He writes everything at an eighth grade level so people can get it, but his ideas are still huge. Right. Everyone has access to his ideas. It's not esoteric language. So, but what I do with organizations and my keynote speaking is I first clarify what things are. A lot of people are working with different definitions of creativity. You Mm -hmm. got 30% of people who think it's just the art. So they're walking around saying that I'm not creative. Right. I'm not creative. Right. (laughs) You know, and other people are dealing with something I'm terming creative abuse, meaning they had a a statement said to them in the 10th grade. And so they don't open their mouth in public or they don't do artistic creativity at all because they got shot down in high school. Sometime I meet a lot of adults bringing that into the workforce or grade school, like kids are kids get shamed really early around like, you know, I made this picture of a horse and somebody thinks it's a cloud and then I decide that I can't draw. Yes, yes, yes. So that artistic creativity or we tell our kids color the sky blue, color the grass green, right. or color the clouds white, even though I have a picture of my son looking at pink clouds because depending <laughs> on what time of the day, right? Yeah, right. Sunset and the, the sky is purple, you know, the sky is. And so we're, we're training them to be at odds with what they're sensing. And so when yeah. they're adults, they don't trust their senses and they don't trust their ability to bring in data. So that's one thing. Another, but the main thing that I do after clarifying these terms of what creativity is, is and, and mm-hmm. my company is presenting the definition of it's the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevance, value, and novelty. That's what I believe, which includes our, oh. our, our, our artistic creativity as well. Because so you know, great. You're I communicating love that definition. An idea. Thank you. I'll say it again. Can you say that again? Yes. Yeah. Creativity is the process of problem finding, meaning highly creative people just don't wait for for managers to give them problems. They're out there being curious. They're asking questions. They're, well, why is it that way? Well, why don't we do it this way? They're doing that on their own. They're not being forced to. So creativity is the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevance, value, and novelty. I love it. Brilliant. And brilliant, good word. And because of the, the brilliance of that, um, that wonderful way that we're representing this term uh-huh. is we div- devise the seven gems of intercultural creativity. So uh, my, my logo is a diamond. As of right now, I'm holding up a diamond and I don't just use it for metaphorical reasons. You know, if you're a teacher, you can teach a tons of lessons with the, the diamond, right? Absolutely. We're multifaceted, the original story of heat and pressure, right? But, but I also want people to understand, number one, that we are multifaceted 
said, there's so many lenses that color how we see the world. Mm-hmm. And um, you could be surrounded by diamonds that could be in, in their original form and not even know it. Right. And so I think that's what's happening a lot now. There's these amazing people in our workforce that have these great ideas that they're unable to bring to the surface because they're not in an environment that supports. So the seven gems of intercultural creativity, we can go through them back and forth. Please. Yes. And there will be a link on the website to Janine's information, to her website. So please go and check that all out. Yes, so and, and, I'll, and I'll send you the PDF so you can post that as well. The, the first awesome. gem, the first gem is the creative growth mindset. Uh-huh. You always have to start with mindset. And I know you do, you're big on, on this as well in your yep. work. You can't get any external results without the internal work first. So based off of the work of Carol Dweck uh, with growth mindset, fixed my- mindset, yep. you have to first under- believe that you can grow in your creative thinking and you can grow in your cultural competence. So the term intercultural creativity is a com- combination of cultural competence, which is your ability to interact with different cultures and be aware. Awareness is key in cultural competence and adapt your behavior. And so in this gym, I go over the fact that these two areas, creativity and cultural competence are developmental, which means you can get better like Mm -hmm. trigonometry. You practice (laughs) trigonometry, you can get better. Trust me. No one, you know, gives a five-year-old trigonometry because, you know, developmentally they're not there yet, but you're not, you're never going to say to the five-year-old, you'll never do, you know, trig. (laughs) You'll never know trig, right? I know. You just know that there's things that have to happen first. Yep. And so cultural competence, people can work on this. Of course, the formative years are very important depending on, on what, what they were exposed to. And some people mm-hmm. come in your org organization at a higher level of cultural competence than uh, others, yep. primarily because of those formative years and exposure. So that's the first gem. Uh, I love it. And I love honoring where people are and understanding that there may be yet steps to come. I was looking at something the other day that was talking about about self-awareness and that most people think that I would think I am self-aware. Most people think they themselves are self-aware. And statistically, it's somewhere between 10 and 20% of the population are actually self-aware. And so I think there's this great opportunity to remember that we are all works in progress. And so, and we're also not a we don't have to be held hostage by our our upbringing or by our parents or by our cultural sensitivity or lack thereof. Whatever yes. it was is whatever it was. And now we have an opportunity to move forward. Yes, yes. And it helps with offense. You know, now if someone says something offensive, I'm like, okay, that's, this person may not have had, you know, the, the self-awareness, the time, the training, the exposure. So they're over here on the continuum, you know, there's a great <laughs> continuum that your, uh, your your audience can look up called the Intercultural Development Continuum uh-huh. by the work of the IDI, the Intercultural Development Inventory. So it's actually an assessment that my organization can give so people can see oh, where nice. they are on the continuum and with that. So that's a huge one. I have great stories that back that up. But your next gem is called the Empathetic Way. And it goes into, of course, the importance of empathy. In order to grow your creativity, right, you have to have empathy. The same is true for cultural competence. You know, you have to be open. They say the number one indicator of a highly creative person is openness to experience. 
And the number one indicator of a highly interculturally competent person is openness to people with different lived experiences. Uh-huh. And so if you're closing yourself off from anyone who is unlike you, not mm-hmm. only you know is that wrong, but you're actually limiting your own creativity. You're actually shooting yourself in the foot when you think about it. And so working on the skills of empathy, there's a lot of neuroscience behind that. And there's a lot, a lot of training that my corporation does. How do you build empathy within people to continue that journey? of intercultural creativity. I think that that's so important. And there's a meme that I have seen that is Samuel L. Jackson saying, uh, pointing and saying, be empathetic, MFR, because it's Samuel L. Jackson. And, and I love that because there has been so much in our world recently around empathy And it's something that I think a lot of people are now hearing about in a way that maybe we weren't hearing about it five or 10 years ago. And if you don't know what empathy is, if you aren't in an organization or in a program or have access to that learning and understanding, it's kind of like, well, okay, I'm supposed to be this thing called empathetic, but I'm not really sure what that is or how I go about doing that. I just finished listening to Chelsea Handler and her most recent book is called uh, Life is Going to Be the Death of Me and You Too. And as per Chelsea Handler, (laughs) it's both very funny and quite irreverent and has many naughty words in it. And uh, as my listeners know, my uh, policy around swearing is I'm a grown up and and sometimes that means that I swear and I will never swear for impact like, <gasps> ooh, she said a bad word, but I will swear for accuracy. So if it's, you know, if it's fucking bad, it's fucking bad. And I think the world that we're living in around empathy and this and this curiosity that you're pointing to and being interested in people who are different from us, who have a different lived experience from us is so important right now because we are in this place of such polarization and It's leading to people being in thought bubbles and community bubbles of people who are just like themselves. And you have your confirmation bias. We have confirmation bias and affinity bias. And, you know, we have all of these unconscious biases that lend us to want to be in those kinds of communities. And then when we have such vitriol, sort of all sides of the spectrum, it makes it it can make it more challenging for people to want to step outside their comfort zone. And when we step outside our comfort zone, when we uh, challenge ourselves to listen to and to get present to the experience of people who are different from us, who have a different life experience from us, it not only expands our perspective, but it has us be more creative I love that. Yes, yes. And sometimes people just need step-by-step 
hand hold, holding. They need action yes. items because like you said, the terms like be more empathetic, that can be really abstract. So people don't really right. know how to walk, walk that out. And so that's what we do. We look at how do you actually walk this out day by day? You know, what does empathy look like in a meeting? You know, what does it look like at home with your family? There's, you know, just different contexts that, that um, ascribe to different behaviors with the same underlying goal, you know, to really make those connections there. So that's, um, that's gem number two. Yeah. So gem- what's gem number three? I think you might like this one. This is cultural observation, right? Um, and the term, when we think observation, we normally think of like, what are you observing? What are you seeing? But the uh-huh. term observation to observe, it comes from the Latin and it means to attend to. What are you paying attention to? And so number one, you can first look at the physical senses. We're already at a deficit. There's sounds we can't hear that dogs can hear, right? There's things we can't see. There's microwaves, gamma waves, radio waves. So like what we can actually sense with our physical (laughs) senses is like, very, very tiny. Yeah. And so, and then technology and our phones in front of our faces, we're missing even more. We're not paying attention, which is why this podcast is so on point and ready for this time, because we are not as humans paying attention. And you saw the pandemic. It woke a lot of people up. Right. They were like, wait, what's going on? Oh, Yes, because we weren't paying attention. And so in this, my book is coming out, The Seven Gems of Intercultural Creativity. So in this chapter, I really first go over what does it mean to have observational complexity? Mm. I use the, the the story of my sister and I going wine tasting and how there's just two types of wines to me, red and, and white. But my <laughs> sister, who was an avid wine taster, she's like, just look at the reds. There's all these varieties and her, huh. her, her vocabulary in observational complexity is far more advanced than mine. Once again, red and white, that's as far right. as I go, you know, <laughs> and it's a funny story when you're talking about wines, but it, yeah. it can be a detrimental effect when you're talking about people and relationships and right. or, or organizations. We're not paying it attention. And so there's people, and I'm pretty sure you've met them that are just very advanced with just detecting emotional climate. They're, mm-hmm. they really know how to connect well with people. They really know how to hear the words that aren't being said. Right. Mm-hmm. And see the emotions, the energy, feel the energy yes. in the room. Their observational complexity is very high emotionally or physically, you know, their physical sense senses. And so once again, I'm an educator. I'm a developmentalist. You can actually train this. You can't just, you know, I want to be more observant and then then stop there. You're, there's actually things that you can do. And so we look at cultural, we look at creativity because you have to be observant to be very creative. And then we yep. transfer that to cultural observation. How do you observe the people you work with and look at their multiple facets and really see them as a multiple, the multifaceted diamonds that they actually are. I love that last thing that you said. How do we see them for the multifaceted diamonds that they are, you know, because often we see the container that somebody is in, which is all this body is that we are the, we are in. It's a container for our soul, for our brain, for our essence of you, right? The essence of us, which is, which is really what we care about, (laughs) what we want to get to know in another person. But what we judge them on is the container. And I have lived my life inside of a body that is not as thin as the world would like it to be. I think and you're beautiful. <laughs> thank you. But I have really struggled and, and been made to struggle. You know, kids say things that are not nice. Adults say things that are not nice. And we say things to ourselves 
in our minds that are actually worse than probably most things that anybody else would say to us. And so one of the things that I've realized is I've been working on my unconscious biases. I realized maybe 10 years ago that because I have struggled with my weight my whole life, I have a previously unconscious bias against women who are naturally thin. And I and I would make up this whole story in my brain and it would happen in an instant, which is how unconscious bias works. We see somebody, we, our brain, it's not us. It's actually just a function of our brain. You love neuroscience. Mm -hmm. I love neuroscience. So it's something that just triggers in our brain. And so then my brain makes up this whole story about who this person is based on their container. And one of my favorite things is when I make that kind of snap judgment or when my brain makes that kind of snap judgment. And then I realized through experience, like, oh, you're not at all who I decided that you were in the one millisecond (laughs) (laughs) that my brain made a decision about you. And now that I know that about myself, I then can make a conscious choice about how I act into that or not. And I think that's one of the keys with you know, getting to see people as multifaceted is understanding that our brain, because of neuroscience, because of how we're wired, because of the amount of information that our brain is trying to make sense of so quickly, our brain sorts people into piles, but then we have a choice to move them out of that pile and actually get to know the multifaceted diamond that they are. Yes, yes. And if you work at this long, long enough, you know, where it gets a part of your your subconscious, then your right. brain will stop sorting. So like my philanthropic arm is to uh, assist with the um, plight of homelessness. And so you know, I've trained my brain because, you know, we're in a culture that if someone is on the street, your brain automatically categorizes them and may have attached all these stories. And so yep. one of the things that happened that I do that has worked well is going back to my diamond metaphor is, you know, the pupils are powerful. You know, that's the windows into to the soul. And I'm like, I'm just, how, what diamonds are they carrying within in them? We've all had life issues. We've all had bad choices, good choice, uh, choices. But a lot of them are, are a, lot, a lot of people who may be experiencing home, homelessness, Miss life just hit them hard, just a series right. of bad luck things and not because of any drug issue or whatever. Right. And, you know, and people with food in, insecurities and other things that you and I may not be thinking about on a daily basis. And so right. just reminding myself that, you know, they're all, everyone has diamonds within them and, and creative p- p- potential. We just are in different places and hope, hopefully we'll be able to, to get back out. Awesome. I love it. So Janine, what's our next diamond? Your next one is we have a critical mindset, the empathetic way, observational um, complexity, and then you have curious or cultural curiosity. And um, when I do my keynotes, I always go with curious George, the curious little <laughs> monkey, right? Everyone knows curious George. And I always say, who knew this little monkey that got into everything and annoyed the man with the yellow hat has the one of the top traits that CEOs and C-suites need, need in order to make sure their company is not just 
uh, thrive, but just survive. And so I, I interviewed on my podcast, the create and grow rich podcast, Dr. Allison Hoysmeyer, who has her doctorate in workplace curiosity. Like who gets their doctorate in curiosity? That is fascinating. Yeah. You might want to reach out. She is great. Yeah. But she has all the research and all the studies saying the curiosity level. So who woke up this morning saying, I'm going to do 15 minutes of, of curiosity training. Being curious. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, and like I said before, a lot of it's because of the formative years, some people with their Uh formative years, they had a culture that really supported the curious level of their development. And a lot of people, the second they started asking questions, they got shot down. And so you deal with that over and over and over again through the years. Now you have people in the workforce who don't ask questions who are not, not curious. Right. That's great. And it's one of the things that when I get triggered, when somebody says something that I have a hard time being with, where I try to go is to curiosity. It's the easiest place for me to go to still have an opening for a conversation. So I love that. I love that diamond. And we, we, um, really quick before that, I I do talk about the importance of um, being curious respectfully. So, you know, avoiding the microaggressions (laughs) and, oh, can I touch and grab your hair? Yeah. Yeah. Can I touch your hair? Can I touch your baby bump? I mean, (laughs) all the things that we do that, or that we might be tempted to do, like, you know, I love babies So if I see a pregnant woman, what I want to do is touch her baby bump, but I don't know her. I have no (laughs) right to touch her and certainly not to touch her stomach. Talk about something that is, you know, private, you know, so we have this out there, (laughs) right. But we have this instinct. And so it's, it's checking that, you know, and and remembering like, yeah, this is a part of another human. We don't get to just go up and, and touch them without permission. Yes. And even asking permission, like, you know, can I touch your hair? That's a weird ass question to ask any human. And so if you think like that would be a weird question to ask, probably it's an indication. Don't do that. Yes. And in our world today, like, are you a hugger? That's a question that I ask a lot because I am a hugger. I am very physical with my, um, with my emotions. And so I want to give you a hug and I also want to be respectful of who you are. And so I am a hugger. Are you a hugger? No. Okay. (laughs) Then we won't hug. Am I a hugger? You're a hugger. Great. Bring it in, baby. Um, And so, so I love that, that concept. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Especially in these times, you know, when everyone's so, but, but, but so that's that gem. The next gem is something called perspective shifting or perspective taking. And I spoke with Dr. Michael Platt on my podcast as well, who's one of the top neuroscientists in the nation out of the Wharton School business. And he talked about how people who know how to perspective shift and perspective take will be on the forefront because your ability to make that connection and to get yourself in you know, someone else's shoes. And a Dr. Daniel Siegel talks about the, the right way to perspective take where you're not over identifying with someone and going into a panic because right. of the things that they're going to, but you're able to health uh, perspective taken in, in, in a healthy way, a healthy way. Yeah. And so once again, this is a developmental skill. What does that look like? How do we increase the perspective taking abilities of our leaders and of everyone, basically, but definitely of our leaders who have to lead these teams in a new way in this new era. Oh, 
I love this idea. And it's not something that I had heard of before. So, I mean, certainly I've heard of perspective, but perspective taking. And so then that gets me curious. And how is that different from empathy? Empathy is really going to understand and you're emotionally connected, right? And you're understanding a person's lived experience. Perspective taking in my mind, and there's a lot, lot of the neurosciences there, and I'll be sure to send you some art articles as well, cool. is, is almost not just putting yourself in their shoes, but it's almost like you're almost forethought, you know, or you're um, going oh. into the past and you're always looking at the whole, like almost storyline and you're using your imagination a lot more. Um, they said that perspective taking the neuroscience shows that the part of your brain that's in charge of your innovation net network, the imagination, the wandering and the, where new ideas really come from, which is why rest is so important. So your imagination network can turn on. That is the same part of the brain that turns on when you're taking the perspective of another person. So they are closely uh, aligned. Uh You you have to be empathetic in order to perspective take well, but perspective take taking, I believe can go on into some, some deeper steps, you know? Yeah. Cool. I love learning about new things. Okay. What's our next diamond? Your next one is at authentic adaptation. So when people who are empathetic, they have open minds, they're observant, they're curious, and they know how to perspective shift and perspective take, you're yep. now able to uh, adjust your behavior according to, to cultural situation. So you know mm-hmm. that that friend you have, no matter where, what area you're on, they're able to make connections with the people and make p- people feel accepted and at home. They're very, they have all those gems in place and they're able to authentically adapt their behavior. And I put the word authentic there because you, you've done your work, you know, your core values. So you're not adapting your be- behaviors that are going to violate who you are and what you you know believe in as your core, yeah. core va- values. Right. You might have some difference in thinking like, oh, I never saw it that way, but like my core values are you know, treat people with respect. That's like a core value. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to shift into a culture where I start demeaning pe- people just to fit in basically. Right. Right. And so people who know how to, you know, adaptation, there's a TEDx by Dr. Shimi Kang, K-A-N-G. And she talked about in her psych- psychologically, psychological studies and with her clients, the number one trait that really took the group who was going and advancing in the right direction was adaptation. Mm-hmm. These people mm-hmm. knew how to adapt in different life situations. So what does adaptation training look like? You know, how do you do it in different scenarios in work and at, at home? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is the the last big gem because the final gem, because I did say seven gems, the final yep. gem is like a, a conglomerate of them all. Like they're working all together and you never finish a gem. It's always, you know, always re- refining until- uh, Just like until people. Your last day on, <laughs> on the earth, right? Yep. And so the last gem I call being a bridge being a bridge. And so like the work of Malcolm Gladwell, I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. And he talks about in Tipping Point, um, the power of the connector, Mm -hmm. that person who knows how to connect different cultures. So they're just not adapting and perspective taking and really connecting with people. They know how to connect different cultural groups together. They Mm -hmm. are the bridges. You want bridges on your team. And going back to the work work of Daniel Siegel, he says an integrated brain is a healthy brain. So if you can integrate 
your relationships and, and acknowledge differences, but still link them together. Uh That is a healthy brain. So people who know how to do that within their brain and within their relationships with people, relationships with the earth, right? Uh How do you respect the earth and adapt when the earth is doing what it's doing because we're not treating it too well. Right. But yeah, that's the gem. That's that's the the purple gem, right? The the royal gem. That's the gem we want to really get to as we keep refining the other gems is being a bridge and creating across cultures. I love it. And there's so much in here. So obviously I can see ways in which just like the concept of emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. really started as a personal development tool. And then organizations realized, wait, this has huge impact for business. And so we want to bring these tools into the workplace and and work on emotional intelligence inside the context of, of our business, of our company, of our organization. I can see that there would be ways for both individuals and organizations to decide I love this. I love what Janine is talking about. I want to get on this path of developing my diamonds. And so is this something that I can do as an individual or is this really something that you're doing with organizations or both? Both. We're developing. The book is coming coming out soon. I didn't know editing would take take so long, but the book is coming out <laughs> soon. So people can just be exposed, you know, to the yeah. concept because you are shifting beliefs. Anytime you're dealing with belief systems, Frederick Douglass says, you know, it's easier to train up a child than to, to repair broken men and women. So mm. a lot of repairing, right? right? Dismantling and then rebuilding belief systems. It's going to have to happen for this next era of and this, this future of work. So individuals, there'll be a lot of um, classes, you know, coming on. And then we're going to even have intercultural creativity certification. So how do I replicate Janine? And I I am a twin, so I do have a twin out (laughs) out there. But how do I have a lot of twins out out there who can teach this? And once again, you know, people who understand how children develop and learn, they're a step ahead because it's all human development. And we understand when children have milestones and we get red flags when children don't hit their milestones. So if you meet a five-year-old and then you meet you know, her, her five years later, she hasn't developed at all cog- cognitively or emotionally. That's right. a red flag. You know, you would start asking for services, you would get tests done, you would do something. But if you meet a 30 year old and then you meet him at 35 and no change has happened, why doesn't that give us red flags as well? Oh, I love that idea. And I think so many of us, I was just talking with a woman yesterday who has more degrees. I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She went to Harvard. She went to MIT. She has all of these highfalutin degrees and feels very stuck in her life. Mm -hmm. And how often one of the things that she and I were talking about is I think all people at one point or another get stuck in something or in a place or with an idea. There becomes something that we're not paying attention to. And we have the opportunity to bring that into our consciousness and then move forward and through it. And how many of us just end up stuck at Mm -hmm. some place in some time um, and, and don't have the opportunity to move through it? Yeah. 
Which which brings me to this thing that I wasn't thinking um, before now that that we would talk about, but I'm really curious about your perspective on this. So you and I both get to play in the pond called diversity, equity and inclusion, which is a big ocean. It is not a pond, actually. It's an ocean of <laughs> behind you, right? Yeah, yeah a <laughs> exactly. picture of, of an ocean like that picture you. of the ocean, because the ocean is, in fact, my happy place. So we get to swim swim in this ocean and it is an ocean that has gotten a lot of feelings attached to it. And I've been doing a webinar recently that's been getting a lot of very positive attention around diversity, equity, and inclusion and how we really need to flip it and start with inclusion. What we've been doing as a as a culture is starting with diversity mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. saying to, you know, HR, go get us some of those people who are different from whoever it is that we are. Mm-hmm. And then those people come and they look around and they say, well, there's nobody like me here and y'all are kind of icky to be with. And so I'm out of here. And then the people who were there in the beginning say, well, this diversity stuff is stupid and we're not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is why 90% of the diversity efforts that have organizations have undertaken over the last 90 years have failed. And so my perspective is we need to start with inclusion. How would it be for me to be with you as something different from who you are. And so we get to start with psychological safety. We get to start with a conversation about who do we want to be and why, from a business perspective, would it be great for us to be more inclusive? Or if we're a nonprofit organization, how, from a mission perspective, would it be great for us to have a differing perspectives at the table? And so many people are, I don't know if it's that they got freaked out by words like privilege, or if it's that they think that somehow there's a zero-sum game. If I give up some of my power, or if I if you have more power, that means I have less power, which is not the way power works, of course. So I'm not sure what it is that has... In this webinar, one of the things that I do is I have a word cloud and I was intentional in creating this word cloud so that some of the words are words like privilege, are words like racist, are words that have a negative connotation around them. Some of the words are words like empowered and curious and words that I think have a positive connotation. And some of them are just neutral words. Male, female, black, white, gay, straight, just words. And when you put them into a word cloud and ask people to look at them, most people say that the word cloud makes them feel bad or challenged or ashamed or afraid or angry or, and the list goes on and on. I've I've been asking people, take yourself off mute Tell me some of the words that you feel looking at this word cloud. And the words are not all, the words are by design, not all negative. About a third of them are negative. And so part of where it's taking me is a, in the world of neuroscience, our brain gets triggered by by negative words more than positive words because our brain is constantly concerned about, am I safe? 
And I think that there's other stuff in the ocean that we're swimming in that has led people to have a negative or an afraid or a, this conversation is going to make me feel bad. Preconceived idea. Yes. And that's one of the elements that I believe helps my training kind of stand apart is I'm entering through the door of creativity. Yeah. So it's less threat threatening. Right. And, you know, when you say negative words that are negative, you have to be very mindful that something that may be negative to you may not be to me and vice versa. Right. So even, even terms like, you know, black, white, straight, gay or whatever, you have no idea what cultural experiences or cultural lenses people are interacting with every that's single word. You yep. know, the word money, that should be a, a you know, noobless term. Like there's no right. negative a neutral or, or, word. Or, but yeah, so many people word. have so much stuff around money. Yes. It's yeah. behavioral finances are, it's, is, is a field now, you know, because it's very emotional. And right. so I, I just go in with that, with that awareness, right. Going back to attention and awareness that I have no clue how you interact with that, but I use creative means, you know, we have Le- Lego serious play certificated trainers on, on our team. I use Play-Doh and of course the arts. I'm really big on the arts. Yep. I do, I do say creativity isn't solely artistry, but artistry can greatly enhance your creative thinking skills. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for the arts. I just don't want people to think that artistry is the only thing. Yeah. And so I'm just very, very mindful of of that, that people may be having a completely different experience (laughs) with with the cloud. And that's why communication, that's why communication is so key and vocabulary is so key. You know, I have a three-year-old at home, like the co-author of of our book and him to be able to, they say, to, to name it and you're able to tame it. And so if he's feeling an emotion and he doesn't have a name for it, that's when you get people, ch- children mostly, but you see the adults, Absolutely. Um, just, just, you know, just throwing a tantrum just because they can't communicate it. Well, they don't know, they can't describe it. So early on, like he was one, we were going off, you know, those emojis with all the different emotions, uh-huh, right? I'm like, point, this point is frustration. Are you feeling frustrated? This is frustration. You know, it's when you're, you know, and we go over that. Um, it's it. cute with a two-year-old, but I, I know 22-year-olds who still need that that training. Like it I seems like you're having- two-year-olds who need that training. Because <laughs> if you can name it and you can tame it and you you can better interact with it. And if you can do it within yourself, that increases your ability to do it with others. Look at the work of Dan, Daniel Siegel. The brain needs that internal work in order to really do it externally well. I love it. So that feels like a great place to end, except A, I don't want to end yet because I'm having so much fun in this conversation. And B, I want to at least touch on the brilliant Sean and your and your book, I Am yes. Creative. Mm-hmm. So let's talk for just a second about that. Sure, sure. My first mini book is called The 16 Diamond Tools of Highly Creative Thinkers, right? Um, just tools that you would normally think of that are involved with creative thinking. Like, of course, you know, belief systems, observation, a lot of the, the seven gems of cultural creativity, also abstracting, making connections, pattern forming and recognition. And so um, what people don't may not understand is having adults who have these skills is key. But how do we not be parents, teachers and caregivers that are accidentally squashing these skills in our kids without even knowing it? And so it's from a child. It's from Sean's perspective. And Uh and would I say he's my co-author because he wrote the book. He he didn't sit down and type it, but he's he's doing the actions and and asking the questions. And I'm I'm just putting it in English poem form. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) And um, we're kind of like a ghostwriter, basically. Right. 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 
And so I have Sean or Sean is going through all of these diamond tools and I'm highlighting them for us, but I'm also telling adults, you can work on this too. You know, you can pattern form, you can be observant of your surroundings, smelling something, seeing it, putting it on your skin to feel it. You can do this too. And you can make sure you're not squashing it in your, in your child as well, (laughs) especially for the classroom culture, right? That's key. The teachers, there's studies out there that go that the, the leader, the team leader or the teacher, their view of someone has one of the most highest effects on the creative potential of that person, the, the Pygmalion effect. And they said out of all the leadership training, that was the number one um, aspect that they found consistent. What is the leader's view of the person and how do they communicate to them? If they think they're going to do well, you see them creatively expand. And if that boss or leader thinks that they're not going to do well, their performance goes down. I mean, in part, it's back to the great work of uh, Carol Dwoskin, but it's also, I mean, it's it connects then to, to affinity bias and to confirmation bias. Confirmation and, bias, yeah. Yep. And, you know, if we think you're going to be awesome, you are much more likely to be awesome. If we think you're going to be shit, you're much more likely to be <laughs> shit. And, and so, you know, how do we hold people as a possibility, as opposed to hold people as a fixed entity where, you know, they are good at this and they are not good at that. Uh, Or yeah. And we, we have training around that too, is how do we open our viewpoint of people? So they're able to bring other facets to work that can actually be the driving point and the catalyst of the new ideas that our organizations are looking for. I love it. All right. So um, check out Janine's book. This is obviously would be a great tool and she's holding it up right now. Uh, So if you're looking at the video, I am creative, which has a wonderful cartoon really of her son on the front and not a photograph, a drawing of a beautiful young, young man, three-year-old. And it also would be great as a as a grown up. So, you know, whether you whether you have children, uh, whether you foster, whether you like to foster the child within yourself, whether you're realizing listening to this, maybe I'm not doing such a great job fostering <laughs> the child within myself. Check it out. So this has been wonderful. And one, one point, if I could make one, one point with that, I do have a lot, a lot of adults buying this book just for them. It's great. I bet, I bet you do. But another point I want to make sure people understand is when I was at the hotel last week, uh, doing a key, keynote in Rhode Island, I saw two families and I was trying to get, get give the book away. And there are two white fan families. And I was uh-huh. like, Hey, I, you know, I'm trying to give this away. I don't want to fly home, home with it. Can I sign a book to you? And they, of course they were like, but now I was like, yeah, you know, an author. And it made me think, like, I wonder if their libraries, right, their their children are beautiful, um, blue-eyed, blonde-haired children. I wonder if their library has any books where the main character is not white. Uh Because the research shows that if you get cultural competence experiences around your children, they'll more likely be culturally competent in adulthood. So having books and people, of course, people is the best, the best thing to have relationship. Um, But books, people, positive media of different types of people doing well, that builds their belief system. So it was an honor to give these families of Sean being curious, being inventive and being creative. I love it. There's a book whose title I can't think of right now, but it's about snow. 
And it's a book that that I grew up with as as a child. It was one of my favorite books when I was little. Um, and the main character is is a little black boy, uh, a little young man of color. And I loved that book. And I am 100 percent sure that when I was little, I didn't really notice that he happened to have more melatonin in him than I had in me. And it's one of the, you know, it's one of the best things when we can expose children and expose ourselves to people who look different from us, have different life experiences from us. I mean, our, our world is just so much more enriched. Yes, so, yes. And it shows them that everyone can shine bright in their own special way. And that's what we want ourselves and our kids to come to know. And the more our kids can believe it, then the more that is who is inheriting, inheriting the earth and inheriting the, the organizations and the, all of the things that we are creating. Yes, so yes, yes. Janine, I want to thank you so much for your time, but especially for your wisdom, for your brilliance, for your diamonds, for all of the facets that are you. Thank you uh, so much for being with us here today and for sharing. Thank you for having me. And you are a a gem. As are you. And as are you out there in our listening world. So if you don't feel like a gem, I mean, God knows there's days that I don't feel like a gem, but underneath it all, we are all gems. We are all beautiful and brilliant in our own ways. Thank you so much, Janine. Thank you for our listeners for being with us. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Anxiety.